Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, Jim Nance, thanks as always for the introduction there. And I've got Scott Van Pelt on the show. He is, of course, from Midnight Sports Center with SVP in D.C. And, of course, I actually run camera on that show um, in the studio. So we've had so many conversations about our love for golf and how much we appreciate the Masters, Augusta, uh, the Open Championship, some great war stories uh, from over these last few months since he moved here in August. So we get down to what it's like to be a dad, how much he enjoys picking up his kids from school, some great stories uh, with the Masters as well. Looking ahead to that, Justin Thomas, his friendship with JT, Tiger Woods, we cover everything, Golf Channel Days, so many cool things here. Before we get to that, Encore Golf, I want to talk to you about 2021 Augusta Flag ball they have it's a custom design 34.99 for an elixir version of this that's their golf ball it's got the colors everything you need for augusta national and it's very cool you can use my promo code b clubhouse the letter b is in bravo clubhouse and you're gonna get 10 percent off on a delivery so you get what 350 off of 34.99 with the elixir golf ball you should check out that particular ball because it's a two-time golf digest hot list gold winner Perimeter weighting really helps with velocity, accuracy, and distance off the tee. It's designed for pros and beginners. Great golf ball. Check it out, Elixir. The Vero X one I've been using, I've added about 10, 15 yards off the tee. That's been a huge advantage for me. That one's $44.99 for the custom ball for the Augusta National Colors. Scott Van Pelt actually gave him uh, Vero X1 golf balls to try out, so we'll see what he thinks of those as well. Check him out, EncoreGolf.com, and they're on social media, at EncoreGolf. Let's get to it here. Scott Van Pelt on Beyond the Clubhouse. All right, I am pleased to be joined by my next guest here, Scott Van Pelt. And actually, we work together. I do camera for his show, Sports Center, the midnight version with Scott Van Pelt. Scott, what's going on today? How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Rainy day. We got a little match play on TV. I, I love that golf course in Austin. I think it's a fun course I've, uh, to just watch match play. So I was keeping an eye on that and uh, just waiting to get a chance to visit with you. So I'm good. How about you? I'm good. Yeah, it's crazy. Whenever we have strange weather here in the DMV area, I think about our debate that we've had a little bit on and off, <laughs> winter golf. And I think about, for you, what is the threshold to play golf when it's cold? I'm I'm a snob with that. Like I think it I think it goes back, Garrett, to when I lived in um uh, in Orlando, when I was with the Golf Channel, and I got so spoiled where like you didn't have to play unless it was perfect. And I I would say this: I'm way more a fan of when it's hot as hell. Like around here, you know how hot it gets in the summer, like 90, muggy. Uh, give me all of that. Like I, if I don't, I'll play on a threshold where you think. You know, you may pass out from heat, but if it's cold, like, like I'm talking about like a fall day when it's like, if like the fifties are in play and like there's leaves blowing around and it's windy and you're blowing on your hands. I, I just, I can't do it. And I, I sincerely admire, like you sent out that video of you playing here locally when like the ground was frozen, like 
you were hitting your club on the ground and it's it's it was frozen like in a billion years i would never do that um but i again it's, i'm a snob about like a low like there's a threshold of a low temperature but there's no threshold like if it's 100 i don't care i'll play golf when it's 100 no problem Here's my knock to that, though. Here's my comeback. When else are you going to see your boys? I mean, you moved back home to the DMV to Maryland with, with COVID. How else are you going to see your guys unless I'm on a golf course? Um, I don't like anyone enough to go play with. <laughs> like, I'll find a place to see them when, it's, when the temperature's decent. I, it, look, golf throughout this pandemic has been a great way to, to kind of stay together and see one another. Um, give people places outside, social distance, the whole bit. Uh, but, like, I, it just – it has to be – there's a certain temperature that just has to be attained for me to want to hang out for four or five hours with them at all. So, and certainly not, you know, out there when it's freezing and you can't feel your hands. Well, here's a couple other positives, though. The rounds are like 245, three hours. This is great. You get in, <laughs> you get out of it. And think about you. Your wife, Stephanie, is a big-time runner. You've mentioned that so many times. What a great excuse. I'm trying to make you look good to your wife. You, if you tell her, hey, I'm going out and I'm getting exercise and I'm, I'm playing golf with the guys, that's going to make you look good, SVP. Yeah, I, I, I don't care. I'm not playing golf. I just <laughs> – I'm never doing it. Like, it, I think the beauty, of, the beauty of the game is it's whatever you want it to be. It's like, think about it. You want to go out and hit balls? Go hit balls. I like that a lot, actually. Um, like, I enjoy just the solitude of just a seven iron. Just work on your tempo, right? It could can, it can be a half an hour. It's all you need. Or you want to go out and walk nine. Awesome. Go walk nine. Maybe catch up with somebody. Maybe, again, maybe it's just you and the world, you and, you, you and the universe. Um, or to get together with your boys and do the 18. Like, that's what that, the, the, the beauty of what the game can be from just a few shots, maybe just chip and putt, maybe nine, maybe 18. Like it, it's, it is, it is a phenomenal, um, it's not one size fits all and you, it's whatever you want it to be. And so you enjoy it in the, in the winter um, and <laughs> never stop. You never stop uh, uh, getting out there and your passion never wanes. And I, I, I respect it. Um, I just, for me, no. Well, for sports fans, golf fans that want to know, what is your golf game like? You talk about hitting a seven iron, finding your tempo, but what, what range do you score in? How often do you play? Um, I have three little kids. And so for me, the beauty of the show you and I are part of together is late nights mean I'm around during the day. I'm the dad, like in the pickup line at school, it's me. Um, and there's other dads, but not as many, uh, that are in that pickup line. Typically I like being present for that. Um, so I'm not, I don't play a ton and, um, like if this annoys the hell out of people, they'll say, what's your handicap? And I say, I have no idea because I, I typically don't turn in scores. My hope is that I, I'm now that I'm back home um, and my hope is I can start to play here as it's basically spring here and start turning in some rounds and start working on, uh, on, on a handicap. Because here's what I'd say about me. Like you see my swing, like the pro um, where I was hitting the other day is like, I love your swing. It's great. And I said, well, thank you. My good's really good. Like I can hit it. The problem is I play so infrequently that I might stripe it down the middle, hit it on the green, two putt, go to the next tee. And you're like, this guy's not a double digit handicap. I'm going to stick around. All right. 
because I'm going to spray. I'm going to block one right because I won't finish my swing. Then I'm going to get too quick over the top, and I'm going to pull it low and left. Then I'm going to make a double. I'm going to make a double. So, like, that's a longer answer. Like, I, I don't have, like, a well, I'm an 8 or a 20. Like, I don't – sometimes I'm going to play like I'm a 2. I'm going to play like I've never had a club in my hand, and I'm going to play like a bogey golfer all in the middle. And all I hope, Garrett, is that I have a game – that I could answer the question, what's my game look like? I'd love to be able to play enough to, to understand what it is because I enjoy it. As I said, I really enjoy it. I just haven't, uh, I haven't carved out um, a ton of space. There's been a lot going on. We moved and this and that. So, I mean, that, but now there's no excuses. Now it's about to be springtime here in, uh, in the DMV and it's about time for me to get out there and let's, let's find out what the, what the heck we got in the bag. Yeah. And I love the weather. I, I've been to this area for, this is my fifth year living in the DMV. April is awesome. You got the, the, the flowers in full bloom. So temperature good. at 7 o'clock. And I love – I'm a twilight golfer, man. I love the temperature at 7 o'clock, 7.30. The naps are starting their baseball game. It's just perfect outside. Um, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, uh, uh, twilight golf is my all-time favorite. Um, there's a <laughs> shout to a place called Wampanoag where I used to uh, play up in uh, West Hartford. Great little um, uh, Donald Ross, um, wonderful golf course. And – when before I was married and had kids, like I, I was like, I'd go out there late and just play until it got dark. Like that's my favorite. And I, I don't think we're unique. I think a lot of people share that feeling. Like there's something that golden hour late. It's a magical time on a golf course uh, with friends or in solitude. That's a, I'm with you. I love that time of day. Yeah. Well, you know what, with the game of golf, your dad, Sam took you out to was it, I believe it was Haynes Point there in D.C., kind of the local public muni. That was where you were introduced to the game, right? It, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, I, I get a kick out of being as lucky as I've been, <clears throat> excuse me, been in, in the places I get to go. Like, I, I wasn't a country club guy. Like, I didn't, you know, I live near Congressional now, and it's like, you know, I know a bunch of people there. It's a wonderful place. Um, and, you know, we'll see if, if anybody around here will have us as, as members. But, like, I, I didn't grow up in the country club setting. I grew up playing golf. Uh, Haynes Point's the first place I played. And um, there's another course called Northwest Golf Park, which is, yes. out, in Mo- which is out in Montgomery County. Uh, I played there quite a bit because it was close to one of my very best friend's homes. And, I mean, it was – that's where I, I learned the game. Like, I, I remember vividly, like – teeing it up in the middle of fairways at Haynes Point like it's right down by National Airport like planes are landing the monuments the whole bit and you know the the thing about the game again it doesn't matter where you find it like you don't need to be some you know buttoned up uh you know country club kid like the game the game's the game and it's 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 there for anybody and that's where I found it um but I was like I was a good athlete I was a good basketball player I was a good baseball player so I assumed Garrett that I just would be great at this because how hard could it be well (laughs) you know it's every cliche, right? The ball's not moving. It's not, and then you're just like, why is this so freaking hard to repeat? You know, and all these years later, I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah. So you ha- were working in insurance in Maryland and you get your U-Haul, getting your U-Haul and you get the opportunity to go down to the Golf Channel in yeah. Orlando. What were those years like? Because I know you met Tiger Woods there as a freshman at NCAA, but you were there basically from about 94 to 2000, somewhere in that range. That's it. Um, yeah, I, I was a... Uh, I, I had not found anything here uh, that was going to work. I was kind of, I was lost. I was adrift. I, I was, um, I, I just didn't have, I hadn't found it. And i uh, incredibly lucky that a guy I met uh, that I interned for by the name of Paul Farnsworth at Channel 5 in Washington was part of the group that were, 
getting the getting the golf channel off the ground. And um, there was, I went just kind of on a whim. Um, and I'd never been on television, none of that. Uh, I just was a guy and I was a production assistant. And like my job initially was going through the Shell's wonderful world of golfs and like cutting out kind of superfluous stuff to make it fit in a half an hour window. Like that was my job. Like watching Chichi Rodriguez at Dorado Beach. Like that was the gig. And there were a series of events where I did some behind the scenes things um, before the channel launched. And they were just goofy videos where they kind of thought, well, this guy's got some personality. He's kind of an idiot. And I mean, let's just see what happens. And they let me cover some things that weren't for air. Um, but like the golf channel, when it launched, Garrett was available in like 10,000 homes. I mean, it didn't, you, you could take a shot and see, right. And it wasn't like there was enough eyeballs where people are going to go, what is this? And you know, they let me cover some things. Um, and then they let me actually do a couple of pieces. And then they sent me to, to cover the NCAA championship, the Scarlet course, um, in Columbus, Ohio in 1995. And I mean, I've said this many times, but like I was no more a reporter than, than I was a, an astronaut or a brain surgeon. I didn't know anything. I just was there and I would go talk to these guys and I met Tiger and, you know, he, continued on this remarkable course and was winning amateurs and then won it um, at Pumpkin Ridge in 96. And I was there for that. And then of course he won the masters in 97 and I was there for that. And then he and I sat down for an interview um, in the spring of 98 after he had won the masters. A Hill, right? Correct. And that, that really, changed the trajectory of, of what was happening for me because he and I sat down and I've told the story a lot, but you know, we, we were supposed to talk for five minutes and I had this yellow legal pad that I'd written down every shot. Um, and I was ready to talk about all of it, but they said, you got five minutes. And I'm like, well, I, I guess we'll see where we go. And you know, 45 minutes later, he and I are now we've like, we've literally gone from Thursday front nine forty, uh, second nine thirty through Friday, through Saturday. Now it's Sunday. And like, he was so great, Garrett. Like, I mean, you, you do a, you do a really nice job talking to people cause you're, you're prepared. You listen to what they're saying. You, you know, you, you take them where you, you let them take you wherever they want to go. Uh, he was into taking me along for this walk. And I wasn't about to say, Oh, hold up tiger. We got to shut it down, buddy. They told me <laughs> five minutes. Away. Yeah, no, the hell, like keep going, make it full, like stretch it out, buddy. And it was incredible uh, how good he was, not because I was a great questioner, but because he was so open with his memories and recollections. And, um, and that, I think, established that, I mean, I, I, I shouldn't say established, but it was just, it was an interview that got picked up some, and it, it was more than others got about that moment. And it, it, I think from there, it was just a couple years later that, my friend Jimmy Roberts left ESPN to go to NBC and ESPN kind of needed a guy. And I was this guy that kind of had covered Tiger. And the next thing you know, you know, I'm there. And 20 years later, you and I worked together in Washington, D.C. Right. Well, you know what? I got a question on Twitter. Nate C. San Diego said, how did it feel to leave the Golf Channel? Because knowing how much passion you have for the sport, uh -huh. you know, making that initial move to ESPN, what did that feel like? I mean – the golf channel is forever, forever um, part of, of my uh, 
I don't want to overstate, like call it my soul or something. It just sounds dramatic, but it's just, it's some, it's a place that I'm always indebted to because they gave me uh, a start and I could have been there and been happy forever. I loved what I got to do. I really enjoyed the people, but it, you know, ESPN is ESPN. And as much as, because I wasn't the country club kid, I didn't play AJGA events. I was a sports guy and you know, the golf channel allowed me a really narrow window to look through um, to cover the sport and ESPN allowed me a, an entire lens of the landscape of sports where I could still do golf. And I'm still so honored to be part of our coverage of, um, of the events. And we've had a bunch of majors and then we lost some and now we've got some more. I mean, it's still a huge part of my, of my work responsibility. I still get to do that. Still get to go to Augusta, uh, which I'm grateful <laughs> for, but I also get to do the NCAA tournament and the NFL and NHL and NBA and major league baseball and everything else. So it, it was, it wasn't difficult because it, it provided more, not less. And I'm a big believer in life, Garrett, that, that if you shouldn't, you shouldn't make decisions in life. I don't care what it is, relationships, a home, a job, whatever. You don't want to walk away from something. You want to walk towards something. I wasn't walking away from the golf channel. I was walking towards an opportunity that ultimately was going to give me um, more. And I, I, I'd say 20 years later, it's pretty clear that I walked towards something pretty good. Yeah. But yet there were some great relationships there. At golf. I oh, think yeah. a rich, rich learner. I mean, you spent some time with him. There's some great story. Well, what comes to mind with uh, stories on rich? He's my guy. I, I just, <laughs> I, I, I just, I adore rich. He's, he's one of the great storytellers. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's a huge like sports guy, loves hoop his boys. You know, i watch his boys grow up. Um, you know, the, the, the traveling with him, uh, his, his, his passion for the game, like Dorneyville PA is where he's from. He tells the legendary stories about this pro they had, a guy by the name of Frank Stocky. You got to get him on and get him to tell you Frank Stocky stories. Um, gotcha. I won't, I, I can't do him justice, but just he was this legendary pro uh, that they had at this local course that they had. And so like he grew up in the sport, you know, um, but he and I just immediately, he's a Philly guy. I'm a DMV guy. Like we just got each other immediately. And still to this day, like I was just, you know, watching he and Sir Nick. And every time I see him on there, I just smile just cause I, you know, he's my guy, you know? And, um, uh, I just, he's, he's just so good at what he does, whether it's play by play and hosting or, all, you know, um, giving you a, an essay that, that captures the essence of the day or an event. I just, uh, I admire his talents, but I, I know him as a human. So I, I just, I, I get, I have so much more of an appreciation for that, for the rich learner I know than the rich learner that the people at home see on television. Yeah. Well, speaking of rich, I remember in 2017, my, the last open championship I've covered so far, um, we were walking the fairways number one at uh, Royal Birkdale and he couldn't help himself but talk about his 76ers. He's like, oh man, this draft is looking really good. I, I love the rookies here. And here we are at, at a major championship and he just, just wants to talk basketball. He loves, his loves it. He does. Um, but let me ask you this. What's the golf interview that you haven't gotten yet that you'd like to get? Oh. Um, uh, I can't think of any, I mean, I can't think of anyone that, um, that Obviously, I haven't 
Go ahead. Morikawa, you talked to after his PGA. You talked to Bryson DeChambeau after winning the U.S. Open. So, uh-huh. so some big names there. But um, Well, I just I, – I, I think I, – I, anytime you get a chance to talk to somebody in the, um, in the immediate aftermath of the victory, I'm always uh, – I just am always grateful for that. Like – and you, you're, you're part of our show, so you see these things when they happen. You know, when, when you talk to LeBron after they've won in the bubble and, and the reality of that moment hits them. Um, I remember years ago talking to Dabo Swinney after they had won the national championship. And you know how these go. Like, we'll take, the, we'll take our, your listeners behind the curtain here. Like, it might be in a commercial break where I say, all right, hey, get, just give me a second. We're going to be back in, in a minute. And as soon as we are back, I'll, I'll bring you in. And – I told Dabo that and I saw him kind of look down and he just looked up and there was this, there was this look on his face. It was a semi smile and he didn't know that I'm still paying attention to him. And I say in his ear, I say, it just hit you, didn't it? And then I see him look, kind of look around and smile. I'm like, I said, yeah, you just beat Alabama. Y'all are the national champs. And he just shook his head. And it was so cool in that moment to see the human being um, really take inventory of that moment the accomplishment like it landed with him and so I mean I I can't think of a person in the sport who I haven't had a chance to talk to yet I've been at it I've been in the game long enough where I've been really fortunate to cross paths with the legends I mean we had we talked to Jack and Barbara Nicholas from his kitchen during the pandemic I mean and I've known Jack for many many years man uh, it's crazy. Like he's the greatest of all time, most accomplished player really in, in many regards. And he's just in his kitchen and you see Barbara walk by and I go, Oh, hi Scott. It's like, <laughs> Oh, hi Barb. How are you? Like the, the fact that I know these people like people to me, I can't ever make sense of that, you know, cause I'm just the kid, you know, from Haynes point, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, and they have Shaq Nicholas and Barbara and I'm in their kitchen. So I, I don't have somebody that, that I am pining away to get, I guess because I've been at it for so long, I've been so lucky, but the, to answer it, I'd say I just the interview I haven't gotten that I look forward to is the next one. The next person in that moment of accomplishment, especially if it's somebody that did it for the first time, especially like say Xander breaks through at Augusta or Justin Thomas wins at Augusta for the first time. Like when 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 you have that moment of the first one, Justin wouldn't be his first major, but it'd be his first green jacket. You know what I'm saying? Those are the moments that I I, I get the most out of because you you feel the human um, side of these people as, as their athletic greatness um, really resonates with them. That's always incredible to me. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I remember that in 2015 at the open championship, I was covering Zach Johnson for his hometown paper. And I remember as he walked in the media center with the claret jug, I said, Hey Zach, and I waved at him, you know, from 10 feet away. And he looked over me, pointed at me. And there he is, you know, what am I doing here at, at freaking St. Andrews? And I got the champion walking in, acknowledging me, kind of like your Jack Nicholas moment. It's crazy. Um, what is it's, happening? Well, we're, yeah, I mean, it's, we're, we're lucky to have the, um, you know, to have this, this seat uh, adjacent to the greatness. And that's, you know, I've often said about my job, all I am is a waiter. All I, all I am is I'm bringing you the work of somebody else, right? Um, but when you're actually there to witness it, and have that interaction, that human interaction. Uh, what, a, what a blessing that is. Well, speaking of interaction, I got to ask you, when did you first get, start getting comfortable jabbing with Tiger Woods? Because I know you guys are both college immediately. guys. Immediately, okay. Im- immediately. I, I just, I, um, I recognize that he, um, that he 
appreciated the honesty. I'll tell you a story. Um, 97 congressional, um, first round of the U.S. Open. He had won the Masters by a billion. Next, first, first round of the next major. And he didn't play very well. And he comes off the course and everybody and their mother is on this pool deck waiting for him. And he does the blow by. And it's a thousand degrees. The media, the people have left the media center because they don't think he's coming down because he hasn't played well. And he blows them off. Later that day, he ends up on the range. I go over to him on the range and I'm like, he's hitting balls. He doesn't look up to me, but I, he knows I'm there. And he just, he's like hitting balls. He's like, what? I'm like, you can't do that. He's like, I can't do what? I said, you can't just walk by. You got to stop. And now he looks at me because now he's, wants to, he's like, what? ready to go. He's like, nobody wanted to talk to Elk. I believe he was talking to Elk, was playing with Elkington that round. And I said, Elk didn't win the Masters by a thousand shots. Okay. They're there. To, they, they're, you're, everything's different now. You're right. It's different because you're different. You just got to talk for five minutes and give them something and blah, blah, blah. And then I leave. The next day, he stops. He does his bit. See him again on the range. He's like, gives me like the head. Come here. What's up? It's like, my dad told me the exact same thing you did. I'm like, I said, I'm, I, I'm, and from, from a very early time, Garrett, I, he, I, he and I established with one another, like, I will tell you the truth. And I'm not like, you don't owe me anything. I'm just, I feel like I owe you like just honesty. Like I, but I don't know, maybe it's cause I was younger and we, we had established some things over that couple of three or four years where he, we knew each other that I could be honest. I've always said there's like a line a mile long of people that want to kiss his ass. There's a very short line of people that'll just be honest with him. And like, he busts my chops. I'm going to bust his chops. And my dad, I've quoted this line a billion times. My father had this line, treat normal people like superstars, treat superstars like normal people. And so be honest with Tiger. And I know that he appreciated that. And look, he was incredibly uh, generous and gracious with his time towards me. And I had to learn that just because we had a very cordial professional relationship, it didn't mean he owed me anything either. I couldn't be pissed off when he didn't want to stop because he doesn't, yeah. he didn't, he didn't owe me that. Um, I can ask and he might oblige, but he didn't owe me that. So that was on me to know, he didn't know you. Um, and so, you know, that going back to congressional and just the very early days, like he, he'd make fun of whatever, my thinning hair or whatever. And I mean, I'd bust his chops about whatever the, there wasn't as much to make fun of with him, but you had, if you got an opening, you had to, you had to take your jabs. Cause it's, uh, you know, I, like, I, how about this? Like I had him on like sports center, I don't know, two or three years ago. Yeah. And I just started making fun of his hair. And I'm just like, what? I'm like, when are you coming home, bro? I'm like, look at me. I am your GPS. And like, here's Tiger. We're on television. I'm making fun of the fact that he's just, he's hanging on to it very, very uh, stubbornly. But that's many years of knowing each other where you can have that fun uh, and know that he's not going to get all salty about it. Cause I mean, just, just our hair, you know? Yeah. Well, I love that you mentioned your dad, Sam, and just the, his influence on you and, and, the, and the wisdom he kind of passed on to you. What do you miss most about your dad and also your grandma, Letha, who you had said many times is the greatest woman that God ever let live. What do you miss most about grandma? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I can I sit here at my desk and I look <laughs> at the pictures of him, you know. Um, I don't I, 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 I lost uh, people um, 
I lost my dad young and uh, I, I did a thing on sports center uh, about him several years ago, uh, which I, I just would give you this advice that like, share your life with people, you know, share your, share your, your, uh, your stories because people connect to that. They connect to, you know, um, the idea of love and loss and, and life. And I talked about thinking about my father. It was the day that he had passed and, and how I did, I'm now older than he ever was. And um, I just wish he would have seen what happened. You know, I wish he would have been able to see uh, his grandson who's named after him um, and to know my wife and to know his grandchildren and to know that his boy got to make a living out of the passion that he really instilled in me, a love of sports, growing up, going to Maryland games together. Um, like the, I, I, I miss that. My, my grandma, um, she loved me in, a, in such a profound way. I think that, I feel like they're still here. I always say that. Like, I feel like they're still here because the, what they gave me is still around. And like the love, I, I love my kids like out loud, powerfully, um, uh, audibly, maybe it's over the top, but I want them to understand at all times that they are loved. And when you know you're loved and you know that people have got you, that's, that's a powerful thing that gives you the belief that you can do whatever. Um, and so I miss that. Uh, I just miss their voices and their presence, but I, I, but I feel them in a real way all the time. And it's interesting. I, I haven't even thought of it or said it out loud. So you asking me, this gives me a chance to really think about that. Um, but I do, I feel, I just, I feel them truly with me uh, all these years later. And that's, that's a good thing. That's when, when people lose a, a loved one, I often reach out to say to them, particularly a man that loses his dad, I'll tell him like that love you have, like it's never going to leave you. I promise you that. Cause I know that that's the truth. Like I'm not bullsh I'm not BSing you. Like it's not, it won't leave. I mean, it's 30 some odd years later and it's still here. So uh, I appreciate you asking me that to let me think about that out loud here. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I really believe in, uh, there's a song from uh, Toby Mack. He's a kind of a hip hop Christian artist and his song, uh, Speak Life. And, and that's encouraging people speak life to other people, like be positive and, and reflect that out. Uh, yeah. We think about our, our boy, Tony Finau, be a light. And, and when people have their, their parents pass away, it's so important for me, if I know them well, I, I write them a card and I, I just want to speak life to them. I, I want to encourage them however I can. And there's only so much we can do as friends, right? Yeah, but that's, uh, an awesome, that's, that's a beautiful thought. You know, Tony, Tony's such a, you know, he is a light, you know, he is a light. And that's such a great, uh, that's a great message to everybody to think about. Because, I mean, it's so easy to be negative and let the negative seep in. And, and you know, there's a lot of that. But so much of that's like social media stuff. And I, I, I've often said, because I, I believe this entirely, that's, what, that's, not, that's not real. That's not a real, that's not how people are. Like that's how you are in this, on, like on, a screen, on, on, a, on a screen in your pocket. That's not how you are face to face with people. That's not how people are. So be, be, like, be a light, like be a, be a person who uplift, uplifts, you know. I, I, I admire and appreciate that in people. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing. I love that you brought up your family, your kids, um, Lila, Sam, Charlie, your wife, Stephanie. Uh -huh. You had mentioned when you came back on the PGA Championship that you missed them beyond about 10 days. You missed them profoundly. 
So when you're traveling, how do you stay connected to them? What's your advice to kind of traveling dads out there? Man, um, you know what's cool is like write stuff down. Um, like I have in my I have in my desk here. Hold this up. It's just it's it's just a little it's just a little note card. It has SVP written on it. Like jot down something. It's like like not a text. Write it down with your your handwriting, like something, an affirmation to your child that they're, if they have a test that they, you're going to do great on this test or just do your best. Have fun. I love you. I'm thinking of you. Like something that they can tangibly hold that isn't not FaceTime. No, for, for sure. I mean like that, we have an ability now to connect in ways that, that, that didn't used to exist. So I mean, I FaceTime my kids today. They're actually down in, in Florida and I'm back here working for the week. So I'm, you know, I miss them. Um, but I think when you're gone, leaving something of you behind that they can see and hang on to uh, is, is powerful. And, and your words are powerful when, you're, when, you, when you leave them with something that's affirming, um, that just that, uh, that cements their belief in self so that they don't, need, they don't need you to tell them that they can do something they think they can do it. You know what I'm saying? Like mm. I, I'm, I'm a big, big proponent, proponent of that. Um, and my, like my, my couple of my kids are too little for it to really matter. My daughter though, you know, I, I write stuff down and leave it for her all the time. Um, she might pitch it. I don't know, but you know what, <laughs> to be fair, I pitched some of their artwork through the years, you know, you save everything your kids make. And then you, eventually you realize, you know what, this is just some scribbles on a piece of paper. We're probably okay if we let this one go. <laughs> I love it. Well, here's the thing. Um, you know, you've mentioned in passing that your wife, Stephanie, loves Amazon Prime. She's always ordering stuff on Amazon comes to the house. This is an interesting yeah. thing. I, I want to get an idea for listeners at home with the Van Pelts. How annoyed do you get with all these boxes? How do you guys manage everything? How does she do it? Um, I just get a box cutter. I, I feel <laughs> a great sense of accomplishment if I, can, if I can box cut everything and get it into the... Uh, and get it into the um, recycling bin for the week. Um, and I mean, it's just, I, look, the world's become so convenient where if like, if you need, you know, a gross of paper towels, like, I don't know, a hundred rolls, well then by all means, send a box to the house. And so now we've got them. And you, you know, you can get things sent. Um, so, so many things that you used to, we used to just have to go out and get, well now you can just have them sent. Okay, great. Well, my thing is just, I, I am, Mr. Box Cutter Man. I'm not good at a lot of things. I'm not very, I'm not handy. Uh, I'm useless in many respects, but I can cut the hell out of a box and make sure that the things that arrive on our porch on a daily slash weekly basis get very neatly and cut up into small portions, put in the, uh, put in the uh, recycle bin and take it to the, to the uh, side of the, of the driveway. I'm quite good at that. That's my, that's my number one <laughs> trait as a spouse, loving my, loving my family and cutting up boxes. Oh my gosh. So, so who's the one that normally picks up the kids from school typically? Um, I, I do. Uh, well, I mean, we have, we have a couple that are in the same window, so we kind of have it scheduled. Like I get the boys every day. Um, and then my daughter, I have special sort of two days a week. I get my daughter and that she has managed to weasel into dad takes her to sprinkles, which is an ice cream place. That's not far from here. <laughs> and it's like, I, I joked with her on the drive home. I'm like, I don't think you want to spend time with dad. I think you just know that you can, you can absolutely push my buttons and get ice cream out of it. But 
again, I think I mentioned this earlier, like the, the, the to me, um, look, there's a lot of things about what we get to do at night that I, that I'm grateful for. I mean, the job's great fun. We watch games and talk about them. It's kind of ridiculous if you think about it. Um, but the ability for me to be home uh, throughout the day allows me to do, you know, the pickups. And I tell my boys this, and it's the truth. The moment, the moment when I see my little guy and they see me and get excited and I put him in the car, that's the best moment of my day. That little bit. And there's this gas station on the way home. My wife gets so pissed. There's this <laughs> gas station on the way home where somewhere along the way, we stopped to get a gas station treat. Now, what a gas station treat is, is an ice cream. And it, there's, and there's this river road in, in uh, Bethesda, Maryland, where there's this Sunoco. And the guys are awesome. Like, I'm, I know all the guys now. They know, the, they know Sam and Charlie. And, like, Charlie's gets picked up earlier than Sam gets picked up. So, like, I come in with one. He gets his gas station treat. Then Sam, Daddy, can we get a gas station treat? And then there's some days when I say they can't, and then they want to fight me because it's like they've become, they've become like Pavlov's dog. They're conditioned to think they get ice cream. And my wife's like, you don't just get ice cream for going to school. Like, there has to be some kind of a reward system here. And I'm like, eh, we kind of just get ice cream, you know? Because, like, it's, that's, the, they're, that's the thing. Like, I see Dad, I get ice cream. But I, I, I don't want to, like, be bribing their, their affection with treats. But I think that kind of that's what happened. Um, so we, my wife's tried to break me of the habit of just every day is an ice cream day, but I'm not kidding. Like when you see a little guy or your, or your daughter, you know, there in, in that sea of faces and they see yours and they light up and come running over. Um, like, I mean, what else is there, man? That's, that's it. You got a little kid, you know, the deal like that, that love is, um, is so, it's just awesome. And I, I'm not kidding. That's my, my favorite part of every day is that that little bit where we're driving they're they're smashing a you know good humor bar in the back of the car and we're talking about their day yeah it was funny you mentioned treats when you get them like i i pick up sophie my daughter and we have these once upon a farm what are they like little fruit fruit drinks and i and i usually bring them but when i forget to bring them oh my god i i get there school she's like she's like daddy where's my surprise no surprise huh oh, and man. and i got here the whole eight minute drive home it's just you can't get it you can't get away no, you can't. So, but you're doing way better. You're doing some sort of like farm fruit thing. I'm doing like, I'm doing good humor ice cream bars. Like <laughs> that's what I'm doing. I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm failing. I'm sure as a parent, but uh, I don't know. I think they get the most important stuff. Yeah. We'll wrap, I'll wrap up the next few minutes here with uh, one big thing, JT and the masters. I wanted to touch on that. That father son story was just unbelievable. Last week, Dick Hoyt, of course, he's the father died at age 80. He had helped his son who had cerebral palsy, his son, Rick Hoyt, at the Boston Marathon many times. He had helped push him um, in a cart to, to run those marathons. I mean, you had mentioned, you had tweeted, you said that this made me cry putting this together. Uh, yep. Jimmy, Jimmy V would have been proud. You know, it's how many times have you gotten emotional? Like, are there a couple other moments where you thought with one big thing? Yep. Um, I always know uh, when, I mean, I, I shouldn't say it's going to be good, but I, I, I can tell when I, if I'm, if I'm sitting at my, I sit in this spot right here at my computer in my office, if I'm crying, it's a, typically a good indication that it's going to, it's going to land with our viewers. Hmm. Um, the thing I did on my dad, yeah. January 15th, the day he passed and I was sitting there and 
I was sitting in my office and the way the light was coming in on the walls reminded me of that day when he died. And I just started writing because it's cathartic, right? And I thought what I wrote felt very personal. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm doing this. I don't know if I want to share this. Not everything should be shared. Some stuff doesn't belong to anybody but you. Uh, but I decided I would do it. And the outpouring and the connection with people was just astounding. And I did it again with, with Lila on her birthday. Um, I talked about being a, a, a girl dad. I talked about the, I said, if you're a guy and you grew up in sports and you're thinking you want a boy, I get it, but you should root for them to tell you it's a girl. And I explained why. And then I talked about my daughter and that might've been an even bigger reaction than dad. And this was amazing. This happened. Some made up thing. <laughs> yeah. I, the next day, uh, Golden State beat Houston in a playoff game. And we had Steph Curry on live with us. And we got to the end, and I'm trying to let him go because Steph has been an incredibly kind a supporter of our show, has come on with us countless times. Um, and I'm trying to let him go. And he's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I just, I said, like, I want to tell you, you know, thank you for that thing you did on your daughter. He, at the time, he, his son hadn't been born yet, but he had two girls. He's like, you know, I'm a you know, girl dad. That means a lot to this and that. And I'm thinking, here is this generational NBA superstar. After he had an astounding performance, Garrett, he had 23 points in the fourth quarter. They beat Houston without Durant. It was like, it was remarkable. And he's saying, wait, wait, wait. He didn't care about that. He wanted to talk to me about the thing I wrote about my daughter. And I remember I was crying writing about that because, I look, I'm an emotional guy. Like, I don't attempt to keep my, you know, uh, sadness or, or like, that case, it's not sadness. It's just that I moved to tears because of love. Like, I don't, I don't suppress that. I, I just, it is what it is. I embrace it. Um, and that writing about dad, writing about um, my daughter, um, and writing about the Hoyts, Team Hoyt. Uh, because, again, I thought about, I know you love your kids. I know I love mine. I know the, the people listening right now, they, they, we're not unique. We all love our kids. Yeah. But like if your child had a, had a disability and couldn't and they told you, dad, when, I, when we run, I don't feel like I'm disabled. Well, you do whatever you could so you could help your kid not feel that way. But would you run a thousand marathons? I wouldn't. I'm just not good enough. I'm not that good a man. And so I was just so humbled thinking about how profound that love is. And I, it just moved me to tears. Just what a remarkable human. Um, and, and, and so I, I shared it that night and a lot of people, I mean, I wasn't, I was hardly the only person that show that talked about it, but uh, yeah, that, like whenever I write and I share things that are personal or, or things that make me emotional, I, I find that inv invariably they tend to connect with people. And that's, that's really what you're trying to do is connect with people. Yeah, definitely connecting with people is such a huge part. Well, really of what you do in your job. And here's the thing. I've noticed you've connected really well with JT, Justin Thomas, just over these last few years. Why do you think that is, A? And B, tell our listeners the story of uh, you bragging at Augusta recently uh, by, by text with him. Oh, uh, well, I uh, – he – He's a sports fan, you know, it's, it's our, our love of sports allowed us to uh, connect because he's a massive Alabama fan. Um, I mean, people know he played there and like he was the game day picker 
a couple years ago when LSU came to town. LSU kicked their ass. I'm like, buddy, a uh, little bad luck there. And he's like, what are you going to do? But it, it, and his, you know, his dad, his family are awesome. I see him out there, always out there. And I'm just the thing about golf that's so cool, Garrett, and you know this, is it's such a community, and you get to know people as people. And so I've gotten to know them. And we, we typically at the Masters, when the men's well, – it's not the men's grill. It's just the grill. Um, when the grill was open uh, for lunch, typically we would just – one year I was sitting there, and they came in, sat, and the next thing you know, we're having an iced tea. And we just – it became kind of a, a tr- an unplanned tradition. Like anytime they're in there, if I'm in there, we just sit and visit and have, have lunch. And we've gotten to know each other as people over time. And, um, and I just I, – I like them a lot. Uh, he had a tough spring. We know he, you know, said something that I know isn't reflective of who he is as a person. Uh, I think he's, as he said, I'm trying to grow and be be better. Um, I think we ought to be allowed to make mistakes and and learn from them and grow from them. I believe that that that's happened for him, uh, sincerely. Like talking privately about like not the thing you have to say for a PR thing, but the thing you have to say to yourself to say, okay, well, how do I be better? Like I think he actively wants to just be a better person. Um, and I appreciate that because I believe it's sincere. But uh, you ask about like a text. I, I had to go down to Augusta to shoot something. And it, it was a perfect day. And on the way out, I just had like this video of me driving out by the, by the par three course. And I just sent, I sent him a text. I'm like, like, I'm here and you're not. And he's just like, I am so jealous. And I'm thinking like, here's a guy who's got the world by the tail and, you know, he's got more money than Davy Crockett or whatever the line is in Forrest Gump. And, like, I'm actually able to kind of be like, yeah, hey, buddy, check it out. And he's like, ah, like, you got to You kind of get one up on him for the moment. But then when Maryland played Alabama, like we jokingly, like he had just won the players and he came on with us on SportsCenter, as you know. And I said, well, if Maryland plays Bama, we'll bet 2.7 that you just won. And as Alabama was raining threes in the other night, I had to send a note. I said, I think I owe you 2.7. And he said, you get me lunch at the Masters and we'll call it even. So I, I think we're good. I, at least I hope we're good because I don't know where I'm getting the 2-7 to pay him. Oh, so you don't have to get a second job at this point then. If I Hopefully. do, if, if I do, I'm just going to – I'm don't. i going to give up. I, I, don't know what, I don't know how I'm going to sort that out. No ice cream runs with the kids after that. Um, well, we talked about Augusta National. i got to ask you as we get into it here in these last couple minutes um, – what is it about that course this year? Who are you liking? What's kind of your pick? Um, I think the thing about the Masters, and you know this having, having been there and covered it, uh, is that there's – like there, you go to – say you go to an Open, right? And you get there and you're like, ah, this course doesn't suit this person or that person. You feel like there's maybe three or four people that just, nah, not their week. And maybe there's three or four people that you think, well, maybe, maybe this is their, is their week. You go to Augusta and you're like, well, let's see. Look at the list of people who have won. Well, there's, they're in the mix, okay? DJ just shot 20 under. He's there. Well, Rob hasn't won it yet, but is this a course that well, certainly fits him? Justin Thomas is a guy who's gotten better there each year, you know, figuring, excuse yeah. me, figuring things out. Then there's guys like Justin Rose, who how many top fives does that guy have? A ton. Didn't, didn't win when he had his chance with Sergio, okay? Well, he's on the list. What I'm getting at is that there are so many players. Xander Shoffley, Louis Oosthuizen, didn't win, came close. Jason Day, didn't win, came close. Like, there are so many people who go there hoping they'll contend, having contended in the past, and with every reason to think that that could happen again, 
that it's if there's like 25 people that if I'd be shocked if the winner doesn't come out of that group. But then saying who that person is with you right now, well, there's there's the challenge. I here I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna say Justin Thomas because I his trajectory there is heading in the right direction. I think the players win is only helps sort of feed that confidence. Didn't play great for the first two, but then played really well over the weekend. I feel like he's trending in the right direction and I'll pick him. But really, really, I'm just trying to do Xander Shoffley a favor because for the past like <laughs> eight majors in a row, I've just picked Xander because he keeps being there. And I'm like, he's going to win one. And if he wins when I don't pick him, I'm going to be mad I didn't pick him. Well, I'm going to divorce myself from that and just say, I'll pick someone other than Xander so that I'm not putting like the bad karma on him. And I'll, and I'll give you JT, just a guy who has gotten better each time. That tends to be, not always, but tends to be a recipe there. Get there, love it, don't play great, figure it out. Like DeChambeau, could, could, could he overwhelm the course? Yeah, but he went out and said par 68, and the, and the membership was like, is that right? <laughs> well, what do you know about that? And, and you know, he, he hasn't putted well there. Can he figure out how to putt better? Yeah, sure. But it that, as you know, tends to be a course where accumulated knowledge and understanding uh, is as important as anything. And I feel like Justin now, well, it feels like it'll be about five, maybe six. I don't even know. But whatever, the, the, the trend line's been good for him there. Yeah, yeah. He started there in 2016. He really um, – it's crazy when you look at his career. He's only played in one Ryder Cup team. So – there's just a lot that he could add to his resume, which he's already done so much, winning the players now, and now he's really trending. So he's looking good. There's a lot of players who are looking good going in. What would be the best storyline? We talk about DeChambeau. We talk about JT. Uh, but there's a lot of other players. Rory for the career Grand Slam. What would be the best storyline for golf? I feel like Rory just because at the – I mean, he's honest as a, to a fault, right? And – I'm amazed. I was talking about this when I, was, when I was hitting balls the other day. Like, I'm amazed that somebody like Rory would think he had to do anything different. But he admitted, yeah. like, he saw DeChambeau go to Wingfoot and overpower it, hit it eight miles long. Didn't matter if you hit it in the rough because you could just power it out of the rough because you're so much closer. And he sort of was on this quest for more speed. And it's like, how much faster does your swing need to be, man? You don't need to do anything other than play your best. You're good enough is right there on the short list of as good as any. Um, but I think for Rory, the new dad, uh, to win, to co complete the slam, I feel like that would be a wonderful story. Um, I just, he's just such, an, such a super guy. I saw him in November. I didn't say one thing about golf. I just smiled and I said, Poppy. And he just shook his head, his, his young daughter. And I just said, bro, you don't even know how much you can't. He's like, oh, I'm in love. I'm like, oh, you're in love. I'm like, just wait. Just wait till the first daddy. Wait till the I love. Just wait. And I mean, here I am saying this. Everybody that's like older than me says, oh, like you're some expert, right? Your girl's seven years old, soon to be eight. You know, it only gets worse for you too. And I'm sure it does. But I, he's just, uh, he's a thoughtful, interesting human being uh, who also has played some great golf. So I, I think... I think when you go there every year, like if you go to the PGA every year, like Spieth, he needs that for the slam, right? But he goes somewhere, he goes somewhere new every time. 
So you don't have to show up at the same place and hear the same question. Like for the rest of Rory's career, until, or maybe not, he wins there. Rory, what would it mean to you to finish off the slam? Right? He got asked in November. He's going to get asked next week or two weeks from now. And if he doesn't get it now in 2022, Rory, what would it mean? 23, what would it mean? And at some point, you're just like, well, it would mean the same thing that it would have meant when I answered this four years ago. But like the thing about that place, I think you and I have had this conversation off the air. Like when you get your chance, you got to grab it, man. Because look at the list of guys. I mean, Weisskopf was going to win it there. Didn't. Greg Norman was going to win it there. Didn't. Ernie was going to win it there. Didn't. David Duvall was going to win it there. Didn't. Justin Rose. Yeah, Davis Love, sure. But like uh, Justin Rose, all those top fives, finally in a playoff with Sergio. And Sergio, it was his time, finally, not Rose. Like that place, I mean, it's amazing how, how people like O'Mara was that the year he won? Like no one was thinking O'Mara. Then all of a sudden it's like, wait, if he makes this, to, he wins. Charles Schwartzel, if, oh my gosh, did he just have a great five hole stretch? Yeah, Danny Willett, right? Like those guys had this incredible hour of real time and four and five hole stretches that won them the masters, as opposed to guys that we would have always thought would, who are seemingly always in the mix. And just for whatever reason, that's what makes that tournament endlessly fascinating to me is, is the people that get that one moment where they're the car in the fast lane and they get to the checkered flag, as opposed to the guys that just seem like they're on the lead lap. But for whatever reason, man, you know, it just isn't, it, it isn't to be, I don't know. Yeah. Well, cl- I'll close with this. Your memory is unbelievable. It's fascinating the way you're able to think about re- recall. Hey, we had this conversation off air. How many times have you said that to tw- 200 people in your life? Oh yeah, we've had this conversation. You can remember conversation. You, pr- you can remember Len bias bias being yelled in the Maryland uh, you know, basketball game, going as a kid with your dad, you can remember details so well. Let me ask you this, the most sentimental moment you've spent at Augusta, what detail comes to mind? Um, I'll tell you, sitting on the set with Andy, um, with, with, we were on the set when Tiger made the putt in 19. And from where, like people that and I, I'm your, your, your audience is golf or golf nuts. So probably a lot of them have been there. Um, but if you haven't, the, the best way to explain it is that the 18 sits sort of up on this hill on the other side of a, of a bunch of trees. And if you kind of look like via a drone and you're kind of coming up over that hill and over those trees. And now as you move out towards what's Washington road in Augusta, there's this giant, uh, range that they've created and at the back end of that range is a TV, an open air TV set. So it's a, it's a pretty long way away, but it's close enough that you could hear however many thousand people chanting tiger, tiger, tiger. And, you know, Andy and I have known this man a long time. We know what he was. We know what he went through and I knew what winning meant to him. And as you look over and you see him hug his kids and the same spot where he hugged his father and his mother when he was 21. And Andy's like me, he doesn't hide from his emotions. You look and you see, you know, you see 
wet eyes and you can hear tiger, tiger, tiger as he's hugging his children. Like that to me was uh, a moment I'll never, I'll never forget. Um, just for all that went into it, uh, but just the sound of it. Like that's it. People talk about roars. I've never heard anyone like it sounded like a football game. I mean, tiger, tiger, tiger. Go back and watch that sometime. Like I, I, when I'm done with you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go on YouTube, and I'm gonna just listen to it. It's incredible, like the crescendo. And Nance and Faldo are brilliant because they know there's not one thing that we can say in this moment that will do anything but ruin it. So just lay out, and they let it go and let it go and let it go. It was just that. That's the moment for me. Yeah. Well, you can follow Scott on Twitter at NotTheFakeSVP. And, of course, his SV pod. You should check that out as well. He had Colin Morikawa on a couple weeks ago. You guys had a bet. Uh, you guys are going to get together in Vegas maybe down the way. San we'll Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see where that goes. But, no, great listen there. But, listen, been a lot of fun uh, hanging out with you here, here for a bit, Scott. And I uh, really enjoyed it, man. I, I appreciate it. And I'm glad this worked out. You and I have tried. And the technology wasn't our friend when we tried to do the whole live bit. But uh, this is better anyway, because it gives us a chance to kind of air some stuff out. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. Your passion is you're a great service to, to people that love the sport. And I, I mean it. I mean, I've told you this privately. I would say it for your, your, your listeners. Just your love of the sport and how much of your time and energy you devote to it. Uh, I admire that. And so keep doing what you're doing. Appreciate it, buddy. You got it. I hope you guys enjoyed that there with Scott Van Pelt. I thought he was great just talking about his family, what it's like at home, and uh, just, of course, sports, what a sports fan he is, and a golf fan as we got into so many topics there. You can see video highlights of this on Twitter, at Johnson Garrett and at Beyond Clubhouse, all this week and coming up. Uh, Instagram as well, at Beyond Clubhouse podcast and at Garrett Johnson Golf. A lot of good stories. We're going to get to it. Justin Thomas, Masters, uh, so many good things from his career. Tiger Woods, of course. Uh, but yeah, there's so many highlights and hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, thanks for sticking with me here on Beyond the Clubhouse and should be a great week. <laughs>